Hello. Welcome to Modern Medieval, the podcast, and hopefully welcome back. Yes, hopefully welcome back. <laughs> um, I'm Megan. I'm Ello. Um, this week we're going to kind of continue our, you know, holiday season conversation about some not necessarily, you know, Eurocentric holidays. So we have Hanukkah, which today is the fourth day of Hanukkah, halfway through, happy Hanukkah, Diwali, and then a few of the Islamic holidays that are also in this autumnal winter season. Yeah. Just to kind of, yeah, like, be a bit more diverse, spice things up. Yeah. I will be very honest in the beginning that a lot of my knowledge on these is limited. Yeah, mine too. So if you're listening to this and you know much more than us, which is very possible, please let us know. Please, if you wanted to come and like talk about how you celebrate X, Y, and Z celebration, we'd be keen to have you. You know, as always, it's not just for the two of us to come and talk. So whatever you want. And also just that we are going to do the best with the limited knowledge we have. If we forget something, if we get something wrong, it's no offense intended, literally. Yeah, literally. (laughs) (laughs) So we did do like the research, but again, that's like a limited capacity in regards to like us both working. This is new knowledge, fucking 2020 holidays, everything on top of that, you know? So um, I guess the best place for us to start is with Hanukkah, I would think, yeah. since we're in Hanukkah at the moment. So for me, growing up, I actually had a fam- um, some family friends who were Jewish um, mm. through my mom. So from the age of like five to nine, I actually celebrated Jewish holidays. Really? Passover. Yeah. Cool. I really embraced it. They gave me my own menorah, which is with my mom at the moment. I've asked her to send it to me numerous times and she just hasn't. Mm. But it's a um, it's a brass tree, and then you know each branch is a different uh, candle holder. And so, yeah, when you know, it's like I'm like second grade, I identified myself as Episcopalian Jew. It's not possible, but like that was what I told people. Um, I you haven't been like, oh yeah, yeah how cool! <laughs> I was like so proud of the fact that I, you know, had an Episcopal priest as my grandfather and then I like celebrated these you know Jewish holidays yeah the priest as a grandfather what I did not know that um yeah he's retired now but my mom's dad was a priest for like 40 odd years but he got his calling when he was training for the marines he did base camp for the marines and then had epiphany or whatever and so he went to harvard seminary and got his degree there and um, he was also a history teacher and a principal at schools, and he was a football coach, led a lot of teams, all. Like, Texas to championships. He has a wow. in his house. So, yeah, growing up, I, like, until they moved to Wyoming um, in 2001 when I was six, um, would go to church to his services on Sunday mornings, did Sunday school. Um, yeah, and then in the summers when I'd visit, uh, because he was priest at the parish, I was an acolyte, so I lit the candles and got to wear like the robes and the crosses, Shoot. ring the bells. Going to church is much more fun when you're actually involved in the service than I'm like sure. sitting. Yeah. Um, also, because you have a, like a better, it, it is kind of like a rhythm, right? You have to kind of get into the rhythm before you can figure out where you want to go with it. Right, and you're just like an active participant, so it's yeah. 
very interesting. Yeah. So I had that. I've, I, religion's always kind of been there, regardless if I practice it or not. But so yeah. Anyways, with um, Judaism and everything, Hanukkah used to kind of celebrate it, and I do my best to be aware of it and like think of it. This year, I did drop the ball just because what is time and what are dates and yeah, what is life? Honestly. Yeah. But, um, you know, the story of Hanukkah, a lot of people kind of know the, the gist of it, yeah. but it occurred in before the common era. So, you know, this is before Jesus because year zero in the Romantic calendar is Jesus. All centered around that. Right. And um, so this is a time of, you know, conflict between Israel and the Jews and the Roman Empire with like um, Antiochus III, who is also the king of Syria. So we have all kinds of like troubles and issues that are going on. So lots and lots of tension. Hanukkah is like the Jewish festival of lights. If you've ever listened to the Adam Sandler song, you know, uh, Eight Days of Hanukkah. And it's a Jewish festival commemorating the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem at the time of the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire. Whenever I hear the word Maccabees, I instantly think of Ross as the holiday armadillo and friends. And he's like, and the Maccabees! Anyways, so <laughs> uh, Hanukkah is eight days and eight nights. There's actually like two ways that you can light the candles. There's the, the common way currently, which is add a candle each night. So the light expands. And then you could do the inverse of that, which is you start with eight candles and go down. And go down, yeah. This is because in the Talmud, um, there were two academies of learning, Hillel and Shammai. Mm-hmm. And so the house of Hillel taught that every night you add a candle as we do today, whereas the house of Shammai does the inverse. We currently are still in the house of Hillel moment. Tradition or Jewish tradition tells us that when Masyah comes, we will follow the rulings of the house of Shammai. But until then, we follow the Hillel model, which okay. I just thought was really, I didn't know that until my research. So I found that quite compelling. You know, Hanukkah's eight nights because there was not enough oil for the candles to burn in the temple, but they used like the last, the last bit and it lasted for eight nights. It's, you know, a miracle. It's an overcoming of oppression. Exactly. Yeah. Eight days. And then it just to honor that each year at the same time in the calendar, you light the the menorah. Um, It's quite interesting as well, because obviously like, if you think about the symbolism of lighting all the candles at once and the symbol, the other way around, mm-hmm. you have the same effect in the end, but it is perpetrated in a different way. And so, you know, it kind of goes back to like the literalness of, of the, these religious texts of like, and then there will be light or things like that. Right. And like in that with like the expansion of the light, right. And letting there be light. There is a lot of symbolism with each kind of number. Yeah. Each day. So, and in Judaism, I mean, it kind of gets pulled out of proportion, you know, of like Kabbalahs and, you know, mystic numbers uh, and conspiracy theories. And Berto like establishes all his books about that. But there is in the Jewish faith, like numbers do carry significance. Yeah. Just, Just like in Christianity, you know, three, Holy Trinity, whatnot. But like, for example, seven represents all that is found within this world. There are seven days of the week seven classical planets, and seven musical notes. In fact, the world itself was created in seven days. Yeah. Like when you have the seven candles, it's a very powerful moment. 
And in the Jewish faith, eight is the number of miracles, which is interesting too, because, you know, if you turn an eight sideways, at least the Arabic number eight, it becomes an infinity symbol. Yeah, 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 I knew that. Uh, <laughs> you, know what, you know when you're so disconnected from numbers and math that you're like, where are you going to go with that? Where are you going to go with that? And you're like, oh, I know that. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> um, did you know, Elo, that um, Hanukkah is the only Jewish holiday not mentioned in the 24 books of the Bible? Re- what? Yeah, it's the silent holiday. So according oh. to um, Shabbat.org, which is where I got a lot of my um, Jewish information because I thought that a Jewish organization is a better place to go to. Than, oh, completely. Know, <laughs> um, I mean, um, it's not that counterintuitive. I understand. I think it's completely logical. <laughs> right. So I have 13 facts and this is one of them. So it says that that's because the canon was sealed by the men of the Great Assembly who flourished two centuries before the Hanukkah miracle. Um, nor does it have a tractate in the Talmud that discusses its observances, it being Hanukkah. Instead, Hanukkah gets a by-the-way mention in the tractate Shabbat. In the context of discussing Shabbat candles, the Hanukkah candles, and by extension, the Hanukkah holiday, get their name in the Talmudic sun. So I just thought that was interesting. That's quite cool. Or that, like, before there were potatoes, because that's something that is from Central and South America. So that didn't happen until, you know, the 1400s. Yeah. They used cheese because they cheese is around. Yeah. To eat cheese pancakes on Hanukkah, which is reminiscent oh of the pancakes. dairy and intoxicating meal that the brave Judith fed the Greek general before she decapitated him in his sleep, saving her village. Apparently, cheese latkes morphed into potato latkes. And a new custom was born. Didn't know that either until looking at these interesting um, facts. Yeah. Because I feel like that's such a quintessential thing is like having a potato latke with like the sour cream and or the like applesauce on them. Yeah. So it's actually really interesting. I've, the only memory I have of any any kind of like Hanukkah related celebrations was when I was very little, Mm -hmm. my mom was friend friends with like a an Israeli family mm-hmm. and one time they invited us to Hanukkah and I remember you know the candles but I, I, I admit I don't remember anything else I was like five but Fair it's enough. interesting how like what like you know the symbolism that you kind of associate with it you know rather than like all of the traditions around it right right um, I'm trying to think of like another like an example I mean, I guess the closest I can think of would be like, you know, a Christmas Eve mass or maybe like lighting a pumpkin on Halloween. But like Hanukkah is such a spiritual, even if you're not of the faith, like there's just yeah. such a tangible. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like silent and you say the prayers and you light yeah. the candle and it is really beautiful. No, it's true. And it's really interesting because obviously like this would be an interesting episode, actually. We could get like lots of different. Jewish communities around the world and see how obviously all holidays kind of adapt and Mm -hmm. so it'd be interesting to see what kind of celebrations exist where in relation to it you know yeah and I guess it's also just always Christian and Catholic communities I feel like sometimes forget that the first half of the Bible the Old Testament is literally like the six books, I believe, of the, the Jewish, yeah, the Torah. It's it's so stupid. Insane. I mean, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's all just, these things are so, like, intrinsically separated. 
And I guess just one final thing about Hanukkah, because I kind of butchered the uh, history a little bit. So there's a question in this, you know, Shabbat.org facts, and it says Syrians, Greeks, Hellenists, or Yevanim. And so it goes, we sometimes hear of Greeks, Syrians, or even Hellenists in the Hanukkah story. So who exactly were the interlopers who were expelled by the Maccabees? And then the answer is all of the above. (laughs) After the death of Alexander the Great, his empire was broken up. The Seleucid Greek Empire was based in Syria. The Ptolemaic Empire had its base in Alexandria, Egypt. And the soldier stationed in Judea belonged to the Syrian Greeks. And then the Hellenists and the Yemenim, who are them, the very same people. Hella is the Greek word for Greece, like Hellenic. And Yavan is how we say it in Hebrew. And then, of course, there were also Hellenized Jews, or Mitzyavnim in Hebrew, who sided with the Greeks slash Yevanim slash Hellenists slash Syrians slash Seleucids and posed an even greater threat to the survival of traditional Jewish life. I just wanted to like say that because we always talk about how things are confusing and overlap, and there's different names from different places about the same thing. And this is a great example. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Hanukkah. Uh, Shabbat Shalom with that, you know, and I hope that happy next, celebrating. Yeah, I hope the next, you know, four days of the Hanukkah celebration are full of light because here, at least in Manchester, it is like it's dark so dark and rainy so, and dreary. Oh my god, it's so dark today in London. It's insanely. Oh god, I, I, I. So yeah, I would imagine that you know lighting the menorah once it's officially quote unquote dark out. Uh, yeah, it's very peaceful and nice. Yeah. So I guess continuing the theme of light would be Diwali. Yeah, I feel like that's an, a very logical next step. Have you ever gone to a Diwali celebration? No. I think there were a few in Oxford. So I think I must have. I think I have gone to one, but I don't remember very much about it. Very colorful, though. Yeah, I've like been around them, and I've you um, know seen celebrations, but I've never actually attended a Diwali yeah. celebration. But yeah, for those of you who don't know, Diwali is a festival of lights and one of the major festivals celebrated by Hindus, Jains, and Sikhs. It usually lasts around five days and is celebrated during the Hindu lunisolar month Kartika which is between mid-October and mid-November. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most popular festivals, full of color, light, laughter. And it symbolizes the spiritual victory of light over darkness, good over evil, and knowledge over ignorance. It's generally or widely associated with Lakshmi, the goddess of prosperity, with many other regional traditions connecting the holiday to Sita and Rama, Vishnu, Krishna, Yama, Yami, Durga, Kali, Anuman, Ganesha Kubera Dan Vantari or Vishkav Karman. So, I mean, there's so many different deities in Hinduism. That seemed like a large list, but yeah. they have hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really, the way that they're related is honestly so fascinating. When I had to study just like the core group in my anthropology course, it was fascinating and confusing simultaneously. There's a lead up to Diwali where celebrants prepare by cleaning, renovating, and decorating their homes and workplaces with diyas or oil lamps and rangolis, which 
is an art form originating in the Indian subcontinent in which patterns are created on the floor or the ground using materials like uh, colored rice, colored sand, powder, or flower petals. So I think a lot of people kind of associate this type of art with the um, Tibetan monk mandalas that are made out of the grain of sand. Oh, I've got a funny story about this. I've got mandala tattoo Mm -hmm. um, on my thigh. And um, obviously I know that obviously mandalas are meant to like, you know, they're not, they're supposed to be ephemeral. They're not supposed to stay uh, designed. Mm-hmm. And so James's sister was like, but doesn't she know that like, they're not supposed to last? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, I yeah, too. <laughs> I mean, you could just say you'll die eventually and it'll fade away. But Oh my God. I, I mean, to be fair, Liv is one of our listeners, so she'll probably be like, lol. <laughs> <laughs> As, I guess as long as you're aware of it and not like somebody that gets, you know, a word, you know, when they get something tattooed in like Japanese or Chinese and you don't know what the word says and then you get like soy sauce tattooed on your ass or something. <laughs> At least you're not in that camp. No. Although I think that's really funny that people do that. They think it says peace and then it's just like soy sauce. <laughs> but um, back to Diwali. So... <laughs> That's all right. So as well as like cleaning the house and, you know, like cleansing, people wear their finest clothes, illuminate the interior and exterior of their home with these um, lights or oil lamps and these mandalas or art forms and perform worship ceremonies of Lakshmi, the goddess of prosperity and wealth. Um, They also light fireworks and partake in family feasts where there are certain sweets or mithai and gifts are shared. I mean, this does sound in a way very Christian, if you will, or Hanukkah, like gift giving, lights, laughter. Yeah. Community, a sense of kind of like harmony being together. So yeah, it's just a really bright, fun, beautiful holiday. Um, This year, it happened from the 12th to the uh, 16th of November. So about a month ago. Diwali comes, or Diwali, there's two different ways you could say it, um, comes from the Sanskrit Deepavali, meaning row or series of lights. So it's named, like, literally means light. Yep. I just, I love it when words are literally what they mean, rather than, though also I guess the inverse is true. When you look at a word and you're like, how did this go from, like, meaning ox cart to, like, hardworking, beautiful something or I don't know I just I love it the word journeys are always really interesting to me I agree it's it's quite a fascinating etymology (laughs) is like really interesting yeah to kind of connect us to last week I mean we mentioned Diwali but you know we were talking about pagan harvest festivals Mm -hmm. and time so um, Diwali is observed every year in early autumn after the conclusion of the summer harvest and coincides with the new moon Amavasya and is deemed the darkest night of the Hindu lunisolar calendar. Mm-hmm. So this just, again, this relationship to the harvest, the earth, the solar system, these very organic, biological, like, I don't want to say primal, but like very, very core basic experiences, again, inform yeah. this very complex religious practice. So I think that is very cool yeah I don't know if you have any other uh thoughts on 
Diwali. I mean, the one thought I have is the fact that this year they weren't really, families weren't able to reunite um, to celebrate Lockdown. lockdown, in the UK at least. So I kind of wonder, you know, obviously all families adapt to the situation that mm-hmm. specific year but wonder how that was translated what kind of celebrations were resp- like kept and how the rest was adapted or whether it's been yeah families minds postponed it's not like really in relation to like the celebration itself but right yeah I mean at least for myself so I live in a very diverse neighborhood that is like very mixed I live near an Islamic temple I live cool. near a Hindu temple I live near Church of England church. So I have like a very large mix. And during the five days of Diwali, there were a lot of like fireworks and lights going off in my neighborhood outside. Wow. Okay. But that being said, I do not know in regards to like the feasts or families coming together that was celebrated. But I do know that it felt like, at least for me, that there was not a step back in the like outdoor light celebration yeah. but then again I haven't lived in this neighborhood with this holiday before in non-lockdown so maybe yeah. it was like super scaled back be interesting to know what like what it's like next year yeah um because it took me like a, a click I was like why are there so many fireworks like why is there so much light and like stuff and then I went oh it's Diwali like I knew it was Diwali but it didn't, that, yeah, it didn't like click. register because yeah, yeah. areas I've lived in previously, there weren't people enough people around for me to like that were celebrating that I realized. Yeah, because it's in, true. Like I feel like in Berkeley, I would have had to have gone to like a particular location, whereas mm. um, here it's just like well, Manchester's quite like a diverse place, isn't it? Yeah, it's very diverse. It's one of the things that I really appreciate about. Because even though it's you know smaller than London or other places, mm. I, I do feel the diversity just out and about much more. Maybe it's the area that I'm living in, but yeah, it's it's a breath of fresh air. Like yeah, that's not, good. Just completely. And it's interesting because obviously everyone thinks that like London's really diverse, but actually in the end, quite gentrified. Yeah, I feel like in London you really have to go to like part the you know like specific designated areas. And Manchester for sure does have that, but it feels like it the areas and neighborhoods bleed into one another more than London. Though I do know that uh, Manchester in the past like 10, 15 years has gone through massive gentrification as well. Anyways. Anyways, sorry. Yeah, no, but yeah, Diwali, uh, if you don't know much about it, I highly recommend like looking at YouTube videos and photos. I mean, it is a really magical. Yeah holiday and there is the episode of the office where they celebrate diwali and really michael steve carell's character takes adam sandler's hanukkah song and then recreates it about diwali and he's like happy 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 diwali so yes it's a good show if you haven't watched it american office or u.s office whatever you want to call it yeah, I've heard that the U.S. office is funnier than the U.K. office. Oh, it's so much funnier. You have to push through season one. Season okay. one is uncomfortable and not the funniest. It has moments, but it's because they didn't really know how to use Steve Carell's humor. So he's much more like Ricky Gervais, kind of cringy and cruel. 
Mm. And then starting in season two, they like completely kind of rewrite him and make him much more of like a kind and ignorant buffoon that yeah. is unintentionally horrible but has a heart of gold. Yeah. Cool. Um, very good. Highly recommend. And then in regard to Islamic holidays, I don't know, Elo, if you had any particular ones. There are well, like I mean, three kind of in this time. Really? The months. Yes. Because, I mean, I know that obviously, like, Aid and Ramadan kind of fall different times every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, obviously, like, those are really big celebrations and they have a huge historic and religious connotation mm-hmm. and then traditions and, you know, what to eat when you're fasting and theory versus practice and the different types of of, of the different ways of um, respecting that rule. And it's very spiritual and a kind of in a way like the physical alteration of your body mm-hmm. in a way that like links it to your spiritual spiritual side. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are very interesting. And um, they both fall, like depending on the year, they fall in different moments. So sometimes that they end up being in winter, which right. probably is quite nice if you're like a Muslim in Europe because it means that the days or shorter so you don't have to fast for as long yeah which which must be quite like yeah. quite nice compared to like the summer ramadan yeah like if you're uh, in australia or something like yeah. that the days are long yeah and hot yeah and then obviously i'd um is celebrated in different times also depending on the lunar i think it's the lunar or depending on the calendar at least yeah, it's lunar lunar um and that has like a whole other series of celebrations and historical and religious connotations and stuff like that but I don't know of any specific ones so so yeah the Islamic calendar is based on the synodic period of the moon's revolution Mm. on earth so lunar (laughs) and it alternates months of 29 and 30 days which begin with a new moon so generally like how our calendar is but it's not as strict because it does fluctuate yeah and 12 of these months make up an Islamic year, which is 11 days shorter than the Gregorian calendar, which is the, like, quote-unquote, everyday calendar that yeah. is, like, in your phones. I'm looking at, like, the the dates on the Wikipedia Islamic holiday because it goes from uh, 2019 to 2024. Yeah. And it has, like, their main holidays and then the dates each year. Yeah. So... They do move around, but they're all kind of generally within the same three months, usually. So, for example, um, this year, we, on the 8th of October of 2020, we had uh, Arba'an, and this is a religious observance that occurs 40 days after the day of Ashura. It commemorates the martyrdom of Hussein ibn Ali, the grandson of Muhammad, who was martyred on the 10th day of the month of uh, Muharram. Like I said, it was the 8th this year. Last year, it was on the 19th of October. Next year, it'll be on the 27th of September, then the 17th of September, and then the 6th of September, 2023. So due to the calendars, it'll be going earlier into September. Mm. Um, but October, I mean, that's like fall, the kind of swing period. And then following that, the next holiday, according to this, is aid. Uh, or Id Eshuya, and also uh, Id Ezara, 
There's two different names, but the same thing. And it's a ritual festival observed by most Twelver Shia Muslims and some groups of Sufis, which those are the two dominant schools. Um, It marks the end of the two-month mourning period as a Dari after the events of the Karbala massacre, which occurred in 680 AD. It is um, generally celebrated on the um, the ninth day of the month of Rabi al-Awal in the Islamic Hijri calendar. Aid is often translated as festivity, mm-hmm. while the term shuya means brave or courageous. So therefore, it is shuya stands for the aid or festivity of the brave and courageous companions of Imam Hussein ibn Ali. So it's a festival of like courageousness. Yeah. Which I didn't necessarily know. Think about, yeah. Um, I mean, in my education, we learned about Ramadan because in third grade, because my teacher celebrated it. So we had, like had this coloring book and it told us the story. And how was that like with the teach with the parents and stuff? Was that no one wasn't an issue, no, that I'm aware of. And then a little bit in high school, but since I went to a Roman Catholic high school and world religions, it was kind of just a hodgepodge of, because you try to learn a little bit of everything. And then also as a sophomore in high school, so I just like didn't give a shit. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're a 15 year old asshole. That's yeah, like, yeah. That's just, I feel like, a general consensus of everybody. Sorry if you're like, I was not a 15 year old asshole. Well, lucky but, you. So many of us were. <laughs> yeah. Didn't feel like it at the time. And then you look back and you're like, yeah, yeah, no, that's a truth. That's a truth. I'm mature enough to say it. Nobody's perfect. Cue Hannah Montana. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, dear. That we could have done without that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like these kind of like details, you know, I heard of the holiday. I know because of social media and people around me that it's occurring, but didn't know it, what it was about, which. Yeah is just kind of shitty society. We should care more and share more about people's cultural practices, I think. Well, also, if you think about it, like a lot of the things that we know are known because of ads and like the way that our culture kind of works. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a shame that we don't, that stuff's not extended to other communities, like popular culture. Oh, well, there's so many things that are wrong with our society. Yeah, baby steps, I guess. So that's what we're trying to do, intervention, just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So just a little bit more on Eid, just because I think it's important because it is kind of multi-layered. So we talked about, you know, Brave Courageous Festival who fought in the Battle of Karbala. So it was an uneven battle. The Umayyad army of Yazid I slaughtered all of Hussein's able male companions, while Hussein, according to Shia tradition, was the last to be killed. So I had to watch this massacre and like feel yeah. each death, then okay. die. The Umayyads looted Hussein's camp, decapitated the bodies of his companions, and took as prisoners all the women and children. And amongst them was Hussein's surviving son, Ali, who became the fourth Shia imam, Zain al-Abadin, yeah. which that's actually a name that you hear in history. Yeah. Um, According to some Shia traditions, this is the day when the decapitated heads of the key murderers in the Karbala massacre, namely Umar ibn Sayyad and Ubaid Allah ibn Ziyad, who were killed by Mukhtar al-Takafi, so 687, reached Imam Zain al-Abadin, so Hussein's son, in Medina and brought a smile to his face. 
And finally, uh, Aid Eshuya is also commonly referred to, as I said at the beginning, as Aid Ezara, which is um, the festival of the family of Fatima. And she was a daughter of the Prophet Muhammad and mother of Imam Hussein. Mm-hmm. And so in this way, the celebration of Aid is also a veneration of the day of her son's murderers um, who were caught and is considered an occasion of great exaltation and happiness. Yeah. So I find that quite um, interesting because there is, again, this kind of like light, dark yeah. in yeah. a metaphoric way of like horrific massacre, you know, of brave men and then also overcoming and venerating of yeah. this. Anyway, so Aid this year was celebrated on the 26th of October, mid-October. And then after that, the next main holiday, which follows quite closely, is um, Malid An-Nabi, which is the birthday of the Prophet Muhammad. And so this year, this was on the 3rd of November, which is actually quite interesting because that's right around All Souls Day and All Saints Day. So it, it fell in this... Christian religious moment, which I don't know, just this idea of like those few days being super spiritual. Everyone celebrating together. Yeah, like a vast majority of people. It's really interesting because obviously, like, there's been so much conflict between all of these religions. And actually, in the end, at the core of it, it's a very similar sentiment. Yeah. And actually, let me do a brief correction. So this year, the Shia celebrated the birthday of the Prophet on the 3rd. The Sunnis celebrated the birthday of the Prophet on the 29th of October. Mm-hmm. So um, different birthdays. Yeah. So I just wanted to clarify that. I apologize that I did not make that clear in the uh, okay. beginning. It'd be interesting to see because obviously every, this year has been so hard in a lot of respects. So it'd be interesting to see whether these, these celebrations are even more accentuated next year, if that makes sense. Yeah, if it's like super celebrations. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for super celebrations. Um, yeah, I think I mean, we need a bit of fun. This year, didn't Chinese New Year just kind of slip past? Didn't that happen? I think it did. Yeah, that was on the 25th of January. So it was kind of when things had already started to turn a bit, Yeah, I feel. Um, so hopefully Chinese New Year 2021, which will be the 12th of February, because that, again, is a lunar calendar. Hopefully by that point, it's not so much a shit show and it can actually be like nice celebration. I hope so. I hope, you know, I feel like everyone's got such expectations for this, for this coming year. I hope they doesn't fall short, you know. I mean, I have, it's going to be a nightmare for at least another six months, Yeah, I think. But I'm just hoping that as, you know, more of the vulnerable receive their vaccines, that... Yeah like the limitations of things can kind of slowly lessen. So like right now, Manchester's in extreme tier three. So you can get like takeaway cocktails between certain hours, but you can't go to a pub. Restaurants are only takeaway. Yeah. You know, so there's still like a lot of cafes that aren't open and things, but it's like, oh, if we could just go to like casual tier three, where it's like you could go to a pub and have a drink or something, you know? And then after that, it's like tier two. You can yeah. do this. I mean, I'm London, yeah, I think London is going to tier three. To be fair, it's not really, I feel like it should have never gone out of tier three because honestly, the streets are heaving with people. 
I thought London was never in tier three. I thought it was always tier two. Was it in tier three for a while? Oh, actually, possibly, yeah, when... Because it's the capital, so it gets, like, a special... Well, I mean, during lockdown. But, like, there are rumours going around that it should go into tier three next week, so... Yeah, I did see that on The Guardian, which is only fair. It's only fair, like, it's necessary. I went to... Last weekend, I went to Covent Garden and it was heaving with people yeah. and whilst still outside it's still just not that really that safe you know yeah and Manchester has been like a shit show always but also it's politically because Manchester is a much more liberal city and so it's like crack down just like politics in America with the virus and all that kind of stuff healthcare should not be political people no I agree sense and like human decency but well yeah I think a lot of this like this is this is not a situation where there's a win-win in any way but like that's why it should just not even really cross your mind that there's any way that this won't be horrible you know there's some way in which it will be bad so let's make it less terrible if that makes sense yeah well people are just selfish ignoramuses too I was reading uh, a twitter thread the other day um, where this woman was one of the very first to get the vaccines because she's like a hospital administrator or something like that. Mm-hmm. So she like tweeted the image of her vaccination card because, you know, these vaccines are going to come in rounds of two, just yeah. like a meningitis shot where you get one yeah. then six months later. Yeah. And um, people were like, oh, good for you. I'm not going to get it because I'm concerned about my fertility. Oh good my God, did you see that thread? That's such a stupid thread. And people just being like, oh yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to get the vaccine because of this. And someone tweeted something that fucking cracked me up. They were like, just make everyone have to vape the vaccine. Then they won't be concerned about what's inside it. And I laugh because it sounds ridiculous. But it's true. It's so true. People are so so fucking bonkers about like the things that upset them. And what yeah. they will and will not eat or and will also, and not in their body. I'm sorry, but like, that's such bullshit. Like, you don't know what it does to your fertility, but realistically, you won't know what like drinking tons of Diet Coke does to your fertility or like to your cancer levels or to that kind of thing. Yeah. No one studies that. And yet, or cell phones or microwaves or, or GMOs in your food. If you're oh. vegetarian and you eat corn, all the soya-based crap, which I eat because I think it tastes good. But yeah, like who the fuck knows yeah. what's in that? Yeah. And it's like, just take the goddamn vaccine. Yeah, don't because be dick. you'll be it's not about you. That's the thing. Yeah. This pandemic is not about you. You and it's about stupid thing. others. Yes, I agree. It can be a bit more about you, you know, if you're a vulnerable person. Totally get yeah. that. If you but, have like uh, something that, you know you're at risk if you take a vaccine because it might send your body into complete shutdown or into a situation. That's a different story. And equally, you're vulnerable. Therefore, like, Mm -hmm. we have to accommodate you. But, like, if you're a healthy 20-something-year-old, just take the fucking vaccine. Like, and you have no, like, yeah, and you have no allergy history. I also get the people who are concerned about allergy responses. Um, But those are extreme cases, yet again. I read something also, there was like, you know, in this thread, there were like scientists and people responding and they were like, you do realize that you have a higher chance of getting struck by lightning or dying in a horrific plane crash or like getting hit by a coconut than having any sort of adverse reaction to this vaccine. (laughs) 
It was so, it was like something like so, or it was like 600,000 to one or, you know, and it was like the odds of this stuff that you're like literally terrified of happening are so slim. is much I more know. likely to happen than anything bad with the vaccine. I agree. It's just so stupid. I just, I just, I just. Yeah. Uh, I find this really outrageous. I think that I don't know if all all generations have been this way or whether this is just a symptom of our time, but I find this particularly outrageous. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's definitely exaggerated by our time, but I do think it's kind of been around. I mean, and also someone else, sorry, one other tweet that I saw on this thread that cracked me up was this person was like, why do you think you've never gotten polio? Like, it's just these things that you take fucking for granted, you know, and you're like, it's because of a vaccine. Yeah. It's because of a shot yeah. that you take. Well, but also, like, my father apparently, so, you know, this is unrelated, but my father watched on the Italian news because in Italy, like, now vaccines are seen as bad things. Not, like, not because of COVID, but before that, mm-hmm. parents were starting to be, like, over, like, vaccine disbelievers and stuff. And, like, there's a whole report on, like, how family members are, like, yeah, no, we're not going to give our children this vaccine and that. And then doctors being, like, why do you think that you didn't get meningitis? Exactly. Why do you think you didn't get, like, why do you think you haven't died of this? Why do you want to put your kid at risk and then everyone else at risk? Yeah, it's, it's this like, weird, like, complacency, reverse psychology or something where it's like, yeah, no fucking wonder you're not concerned about measles or polio or meningitis. Like, it doesn't seem like a problem. It's because everyone fucking vaccinates themselves so that it's yeah. not a problem. Wow, it's so stupid. <laughs> Human beings are so stupid. I just don't really understand. I'm sorry. This, is, this ended up being much ranter than I, I, than I intended it. But like, this has been on my mind. I like also ended up on someone's social media, and they're like supposedly an influencer, and like they went on about how they were worried about the fertility, and so they did the whole Instagram stories about this, and like then like tons of people commented being like, "How can you do this? Like, this is clearly propagating." disinformation yeah (laughs) like what are you doing and then they were like oh no 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 but you know oh it's my right blah 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 shut up like why (laughs) yeah the conflation between people's like individual rights and then just being a selfish asshole I think those are getting really confused lately yeah okay yes you have a right to get the vaccine or not but you also have to consider that you are a member of society And that it is a right to be able to, like, socialize in a certain spectrum. Like, part of the thread I was looking at had a separate thread that started going on where someone was like, well, if you don't get a vaccine, you should all go have to, like, live somewhere else or be somewhere else or, like, separation. Smokers versus non-smoker sections because I'm going to get this vaccine because I want to protect myself and others. And then people were like, well, it's not fair. And it's like, I don't want to be around you because you're being a fucking dick and putting me at risk yeah. because you are yeah. like being And I think head. it's kind of different to like, you know, the vaccine that um, women, like our generation, at least it was introduced when I was 12, you know, the vaccine viruses that you can get internally as a woman that can cause cancer. There's some vaccines where like it's your own choice you know whether you do that and then you get cancer then that's like tough luck you didn't do that but like something that can spread so far mm-hmm. is so stupid not to do and i think that people from the middle ages 
would love the vaccine, this like magical syringe that makes you feel better and makes other people be healthy. Also, like when we talked about the Black Plague, you know, they did what they needed to do to survive and keep the community alive. So they burned those herbs or, you know, cleaned the things. They did as much as they thought with the knowledge that they had. And so if medieval people can do it, so can you. Yeah, just suck it up. Anyway. Yeah, so tis the season to be jolly, folks. And see you in the new year, I guess. Yeah, so this is our last episode, um, official episode, until the new year. So today is December 13th, so we'll be releasing this on Monday, December 14th. And we're planning on taking a break until um, January, the week of like January 9th, 10th, that weekend. So releasing on January 11th. We do have a few um, little ideas and maybe a, you know, tidbit episode here and there of maybe like a poetry reading or, you know, like a cooking session sort of fun thing, but it's not like officially in our calendar. So if they drop, wahoo. If they don't, you just have to wait until 2021. Yeah, that's about a month off, but that just seems fair with the holidays. Ella's traveling back, you know. And we've been doing a lot of these. Yeah, we've had quite a few. Gives us a chance also to recalibrate and you know think of some more fun ideas of conversations we wish you a merry holiday season whether you celebrate or not we wish you health we wish you happiness and comfort and yes lots of medieval kisses yeah health wealth and good fortune and hopefully the dumpster fire of 2020 eases in the next few weeks as the year comes to a close and that your new year starts off well, <laughs> like better. I mean, it's not going to be a magical Cinderella, you know, no. stroke of midnight. But hopefully, yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel continues to get brighter and closer. And um, yeah, so like Ella said, we're sending, you know, all our love. Yeah. So if you've enjoyed this episode, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or Amazon, actually, by typing Modern Medieval Podcast. You can find us on social media. For example, you can find us on Facebook by typing Modern Medieval Podcast. We've got a page and a group. You can find us on Instagram by typing podcast.modern.medieval. You can find us on YouTube, just type Modern Medieval Podcast. We have an email if you have queries or remarks or anything you'd like to talk about. Just type modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com. And finally, we have Twitter. Yeah, Twitter, you can find us at medieval underscore modern please tweet at us or link us at us, whatever it is that you do on Twitter, tweet at us, tweet, tweet. Once again, just thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure to see that we get new listeners. Yeah. And lots of love. Yes. Love, cheer. Until next time, I'm Ello. And I'm Megan. And this is Modern Medieval, the podcast. (laughs) 